Hello and welcome back to the Middling Along podcast. My guest this time is Breda Birmingham. She's an award-winning menopause coach on a mission to change the global story for menopausal and midlife women. She went back to study psychology and got a sociology master's in 2020 and her research interest is midlife women, menopause and leadership. She coaches women individually and in group settings, focusing on symptom management and the positive aspects of the menopause transition. She's a staunch believer that the taboo around menopause continues to limit and disempower women in their middle years and needs to be removed in order to enable women to thrive. She's also the best-selling author of Midlife Women Rock, a menopause story for a new generation. Welcome to the podcast, Breda. Hello, Emma. Just great to be here. Thank you. What sort of pushed you to to go back to to study in 2018? Was that, uh, were your sort of children grown up at that point? Yes, I suppose, Emma, I went back actually in 2015. I was 49 and uh, my youngest was, I just turned 10. And I'd been at home for over 10 years after he was born. I had four children and um, I... I suppose for a long time, I've been wanting to go back and study psychology. So the opportunity arose in um, 14, 15, and I went back and I completed the degree in 2018. And this is where I was led to look into midlife women and menopause because I was reviewing the research on midlife women. And menopause, of course, is a huge part of the story around midlife. And um, mm. what perplexed me was... There was so little uh, information uh, around this stage in life, plus the information and the research I did get my hands on was hugely, hugely negative, like narratives around degeneration, heading downhill, becoming invisible. And I'm a former midwife and a community nurse, and I've worked with women for years. And the thing is, uh, and I've been lucky enough to work across the socioeconomic divide, so Mm. Women are prepared and they're, they're educated around issues in their lives. I had seen how they can thrive. And I, so I came upon menopause and I wondered what had happened that this story was so, so negative and what had happened that nobody was talking about it. Why was there so much silence, even amongst my own friends, colleagues? So that's where I started. Yeah, it's obviously in the, the sort of the intervening four, five, six years since you started studying it, a lot has changed, but at the same time, it does still feel like there's a there's an amount of stigma and taboo around the topic that we still need to break down. And that's part of what you're you're doing with your work now. Yes, yes. And, and I mean, the, uh, the taboo, I, again, from my own research, I, I did the degree in, I finished the degree in psychology I started working then in the space in 2019. I was met with a, a wall of silence in many in many areas of, <laughs> of life back then. And I remember going to the Meg Matthews Menopause Conference in London in May 2019. And <clears throat> that was the first conference organized by women for women. And what was quite unique about it was on the day Meg Matthews mentioned that 70 to 75% of us that attended, attended alone. And this is what happens around taboo subjects. And 
I suppose I, I, my research revolved and, and the book that I've written revolves around shame and Brené Brown's work, the social scientist, you may have heard of her, Emma. Mm -hmm. Yeah, her lens looking at menopause and looking at the shame that um, has been associated with menopausal women over the decades. And shame, when shame is attached to um, a subject, there's always going to be silence and conformity. And certainly where menopause is concerned, I found there to be huge silence, fear, denial, stigma that has been passed down through the generations. And what I also discovered is that, you know, in the past, women did actually try to, to break this silence. Jermaine Greer, back in the 1980s, that author and feminist, she tried to bring menopause mainstream with very little success. In the 1990s, Gail Sheedy, an American author did a lot of work around the silent passage she was asking why is menopause and silence you know why, why are they bedfellows and again she endeavored to try and bring it mainstream without success there's a great story in uh, Gail Sheedy's book the silent passage around Oprah Winfrey trying to get an audience into the studio to talk about menopause in the mid-90s and found finding it impossible to get women to <laughs> just like it. no way <laughs> so we are the generation emma i believe that something has happened in the last you know the last few years and is happening at the moment because i feel and from working in the space and also being a researcher we are going to be the women that are actually going to mm. break that silence and bring menopause mainstream um, why, why do you think that is? What What is it that's different about this this sort of group of us who are going through this experience now? Well, actually, the, you know, there are kind of three big reasons I feel that menopause is coming into, you know, it's coming into the, the main media and it's becoming mainstream. Number one, it's demographics. It's the number of us, because mm -hmm. today, globally, women entering and moving through their 50s, they account for the highest demographic who are in the workplace and we're also educated, you know, women in their 50s today compared to previous generations. There are more and more of us that are educated. So we've got voices and women are starting to use their voices and it's the, the collaboration of many. And that's what's making the shift. There are so many of us. I mean, I'm in Ireland. There are quite a number of us here in Ireland. We've been advocating since 2019-20 here when it comes to government changes and policy change. The UK are leading the world when it comes to this shift because I, I have mm. a lot of contacts in America and in Australia, South Africa, and they're looking to UK, the UK and Ireland and wondering, you know, how how are we doing what we are doing? So we're it's quite exciting in many ways, Emma, what's actually happening because we are bringing, we're uncovering decades and decades of silence. Mm. It's a tipping point. They talk about the tipping point, actually, in things like the climate change movement, don't they? It's just like yes. if a, so you get to a certain yes. percentage of, of behaviour change, then yeah. it will tip over into the sort of the general population. Yes. And life expectancy is, the, uh, is another reason why we, we're, we're talking and speaking up now. If you go back 100 years ago, I mean, life expectancy for women was approximately like 58, 59. The CSO statistics. Today, life expectancy is our mid-80s. So there's a lot of living to be done post-menopause. 
compared to 100 years ago. And that's where that story of menopause and old, because most women back in 1910, I saw here in Ireland, they reached menopause at, they were actually older, because 56 was the average age a woman reached menopause back in 1910. And the average age a woman lived to was like, like 58, 59. So that's, the, that's where that story of you're old and you're menopausal. But this is 2022, and we're certainly not old by the time we reach the average woman in, in, in the Western world reaches menopause at 51. We are talking about another 35, 40 years, provided we've good health. So that's another reason why the shift is, is occurring. But it's the, it's the voices of women. It's the accumulation of the many voices, doctors, educators, coaches, uh, and it's a movement. I, I say, let's say from having worked in the UK as well over the last few years, it's like this midlife women's movement that, uh, you know, women have, have voices and they're starting to use the voice around, you know, we are value, we are of value in society. Forbes, let's say that economic think tank in 2019, they estimate that the economic costs, let's say to health and also to productivity globally um, is over 810 million in not managing and not supporting menopausal women in the workplace. And, and a lot of the, the conversation, certainly here in the UK and, and on social media, is very focused on HRT. But obviously, that's not, that's not the whole picture. And for some people, you know, they won't be able to take HRT or they won't necessarily want to, to take HRT. And so, you know, sometimes we're perhaps so kind of focused on the sort of the symptoms and treatment that we we forget the the bigger picture of of this as a, a life transition. So, can you talk a bit about the the work that you do in that sort of space in in terms of being such a, a more sort of holistic view of of menopause? And I agree. I I have been following, let's say, in, in the last year in particular, what has been uh, happening in the UK and. When it comes to symptom management, I, I mean, I write about this in my book. I, I see menopause as this huge puzzle and we still do not have all the pieces of the puzzle. And the reason we don't have the pieces is because menopause has been in the closet for so long. We haven't <laughs> taken it out. We haven't examined it. We haven't put it under the spotlight, but we're starting to do so. And we're looking at such you know great things that are beginning to happen, like there's new, a new drug that's been tried for the last two or three years that's coming onto the market in 2023, specifically for women who cannot take estrogen uh, post-cancer treatment, which is very, very promising because I, I work with a lot of women, let's say, who had breast cancer and HRT is certainly mm. not um, recommended there. Um, when it comes to hormone replacement therapy, my belief is that it's about informed choice. I, I think women deserve to know that, you know, that this is one of the management pathways, you know, yeah. when it comes to um, managing symptoms. But there are also lifestyle changes which are imperative and also complementary alternative. And it's about informed choice. There are many women who uh, want to take HRT and that is wonderful. But there are also many women who want to choose the alternative routes. And I, I believe women are not stupid. Women, you know, provide us with the information and education and we decide for ourselves. That's my belief from working with women for years. In Ireland, we, I suppose, as a country, we have had the Women's Health Task Force was set up here in 2019. Set up, I suppose, 
a Vicky Phelan. She's a, a cervical check campaigner who unfortunately passed away only in the last two weeks. Mm, I she saw that. was yeah, she was responsible, you know, she was instrumental in getting this set up in the Department of Health here in Ireland. And in February 2020, the department invited those of us working in the women's health um, areas to come into the department and um, provide our feedback on what we felt was important when it came to, I was the menopause phase, let's say there were people uh, talking about mental health, endometriosis, infertility, but there were four of us who were voicing our concerns about the huge lack of education, awareness, signposting of supports and availability of support in Ireland. And they took it on board that day. Then COVID came along 2020-21. But it's this year now that the government are actually um, enacting what they had promised. So they've opened up four menopause medical centres here in Ireland in the last year. Uh, government funded and we also in October they have just launched a nationwide education and awareness campaign whereby we've billboards buses videos uh, in order to try and get the whole of society talking about um, menopause and I personally feel that this is going to be a, a game changer for bringing menopause mainstream with, with the objective being that we eventually talk about it like we do pregnancy in workplaces and yeah. homes and normalize the, the conversation that's where I feel from a, like a wearing my socio sociologist hat this is where <laughs> we need to go because it's so much bigger than HRT what's happening at the minute you know it's about the value of women when they reach the end of their reproductive years and you know this invisibility narrative has been there it's been handed down to us we are the women that are going to change that for the next generation. I have two daughters. I certainly would like them to come into menopause without that fear, shame and denial that I, you know, I, I encountered when I, when I landed in, in the space. And Emma, I myself was perimenopausal back in 2018-19 without even realising it. I didn't realise, <laughs> you know, until I started researching that. I was putting on weight. I had this awful body odor and I wondered what the heck was this all about? My um, menstrual cycle was still very regular, but I was perimenopausal and I'd never heard the word before 2018. So the lack of education has been, you know, it's like this black hole that we're starting to fill in. We're filling in this hole and so that our younger sisters and our daughters and our granddaughters, when they come, you know, they, they'll be prepared, they'll be educated and we've we've seen i've seen you know the huge benefits that um education and sharing stories in particular the power of women sharing stories and that's another problem that has existed in menopause women's voices have not really been heard in the story around menopause in the research let's say going pre-2015 most of the research around menopause is medical research it's medical doctors writing for other doctors or writing for professors and they're talking about, you know, the um, the consequences of severe, severe symptoms. So they're not talking about, you know, what, what a natural menopause can can be like. There's a, a huge there has been a huge deficit there uh, around women's voices talking about what has happened or how they've managed, how they've negotiated and navigated through the silence. Mm. It's, it's amazing. Emma. I, I'm sure the UK are similar how. Women here in Ireland have told me they've traveled from 
they've done four and five hours in a car just to hear someone talking about menopause, let's say going back to 2016, 17, looking for information. And I think that's, that's so important as well that we hear that broad range of experience because some of the time we might for example newspaper articles might focus on particularly sort of extreme cases or you know the the experiences of the sort of celebrity who you know it's great that they're standing up and talking about it but you know we we really need to see and understand that as you've already said everyone's experience is going to be different some may really only experience fairly mild symptoms and you know sort of as we say sort of sail sail through it without a backwards glance some people are going to be really debilitated and going to to want to use every sort of tool in that toolkit to to help them kind of get through and, and out the other side some people you know are going to be experiencing symptoms for for years Um, some will not and so I think it's important as well that we hear some positive experiences and and stories. Yes and and Emma looking at at the statistics I mean if we take into account let's say that we've had no preparation we've had no education and we've had no signposting of support and the stats going back to when I was doing my research in in 2018-19 were that 20% of women um, have no symptoms uh, the remaining 80% then have symptoms ranging from mild, moderate to severe. There's about 20 to 25% who have the severe symptoms who need, you know, they need medical management through those mm. years that they're moving through. But there's, I would say there's 60%, 60, 60% of women who manage menopause quite successfully um, with, you know, with, with information, with, with knowledge and maybe with one or two trips to, to their GP over the, the, the years that they're going through perimenopause, menopause, I would estimate in my, that there would be there are 60% of women. Now, I, I, I don't know if everybody would agree with me on that, but that's from I working with hundreds of women in the last four years. And it's been that gap in education, gap in uh, you know signposting and understanding what is going on and what's actually happening to us. That is causing mm. the issues. If we can put all that, if we can put the education in place, explain, you know, what perimenopause is, the psychological, the emotional, the physical symptoms, we can reduce um, that 20 to 25% of women who, who have those severe symptoms and encourage, you know, more and more supports to start emerging for that. And early menopause in particular, and it's great to see uh, Professor Nick Panny lead a group of researchers looking into our early menopause and how best to support uh, young girls and young women with premature ovarian insufficiency and premature ovarian failure because there's been so much loneliness and isolation in, in their lives I've heard from 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 individuals so that's where I think the story yeah, the story has I suppose we're uncovering the silence and in uncovering it then we you know, there's turbulence. And that's where I think in the last year in the UK, there's been a lot of turbulence around the huge focus on HRT. Yes, it is really important. And it's a wonderful treatment if it suits an individual, but it's not for everybody. And the actual story here is bigger than HRT, what's actually happening around menopause. It's about the, the role and the value of the mid, of midlife women in society, 
in communities and in the workplace. You've talked a bit before about, you know, working across different socioeconomic groups at different demographics. It's quite often seems as though the sort of the, a lot of the voices that we do hear in this space are kind of more in that professional women demographic how do we make sure that we're reaching people who don't sit in that box okay well, that's a great that, that is a great question but well, i think uh, social media probably and the newspapers the um, news readers let's say starting to talk more and more about the, the subject that's breaking down the taboo and uh, getting conversations going and I run the Midlife Women Rock Cafes here. They're a non-profit here in Waterford where groups of women come together on the first Tuesday of each month and um, they're free. We, they, I facilitate the cafes. I provide information. They come with their questions. But most of all, it's women to women support. It's the power I've, I've seen in, in this. This has been going on since 2019. We were on online uh, on Zoom throughout COVID. But it's the power of women to women support that mm, is you're not alone <laughs> yeah exactly and when women realize oh my goodness that you know there's another woman experiencing this symptom that i thought i was the only one experiencing it's such <laughs> a massive relief it kind of you know depersonalizes the symptom from who they are as as, as women because sadly the story let's say in the past was if something, if you were presenting with a symptom, for example, social anxiety is something that I have come up, uh, upon again and again in older women. And mm-hmm. they feel that once, you know, they become anxious, that there's nothing they can do about it. Or insomnia, sleep disturbances, again, in older women who've lost their, you know, lost good sleep in their middle years when they're moving through menopause. And they felt, oh, it's something we have to put up with for the rest of our lives. Mm. And th- these are all the good things that are happening as a result of us bringing menopause mainstream, that women realize, you know, that they've got agency now. This is the came up in my own research was <clears throat> the lack of agency, which is completely understandable because I was one of these women, even though I am a, a midwife, I'm a nurse, my background, I did not know what was happening or what was going on. And, and I'm perplexed even to this day to how long we've stayed silent as women. Yeah, well, it's crazy when you think that we're all going to go through this and yet it's only really in the last few years that uh, we've, we've sort of really succeeded in getting it out in, in the open. Mm. I wanted to ask you about that sort of shame and taboo in the workplace and, and sort of the more that I dig into this, I suppose I... I can see that for some people sharing their struggle whilst they're at work is something that could be that feels a little bit scary and difficult because they don't want to be judged and found lacking in a in a work environment. How do we get around that? Emma, I think courage is the word and courageous women is what I call these women. I, I As I say, I'll be, go, be going into workplaces now over the last year here in Ireland and also on, on webinars in the UK. But I call these women massively courageous. These are kind of the, the warrior women that are actually changing the story and they're changing um, you know, the workplace for other women. Trailblazers. 
yeah, in many ways, and even in the last few weeks, I've been in companies here in Ireland and organizations, and it only takes one woman to actually break the ice. And so many other women have told me this. They've said, because Angela started talking, we now are all talking. Because Julie mm -hmm. started talking, we're, we now are talking at coffee breaks. And we're sharing our, we're sharing what, what's working for me, uh, where to go, let's say to find uh, a, a GP who's really educated on menopause, where to go to maybe uh, visit a menopause coach, a menopause nutritionist, another person was talking about CBT. So, you know, it's that sharing how women, and I keep saying this in all of my talk, it's talking. And I heard actually Professor Nick Penny on, on Menopause Awareness Month saying that he was asked, what is the, what has made the biggest difference in the last four to five years around menopause in the UK? And he said, it's the fact that we, more and more of us are talking openly and publicly about it. That. Mm normalizing that conversation so the more and more of us that we can do that the, the more yeah. as you say it just becomes part yeah. of our, our everyday we're uncovering this story in order to kind of recover and then to see these opportunities second chances because that's where i'm moving to we've in ireland we've got the campaign here we've got the menopause medical clinics so you know we're, with this this shift this uncovering has occurred now i feel so it's time now to move to the next We've, we've got to shift again and we, we, to shift towards looking at the opportunities, second chances, access to deep creative power and access to these positives that are actually in the literature, they're in the research, but we need to spotlight them now a little bit more because 95%, um, Emma, of everything that has been written about menopause is negative. The language has been overwhelmingly negative that has been hand down, handed down to us through the generations. And there's a great paper, Killer Whales, Killer Women, written by an <laughs> uh, Australian academic in 2019, I think it was 1919 or 2020, but I love the title of it. And she, her question to the world is like, looking at what is the role of the postmenopausal woman in society? And she believes it's leadership. It's actually that we are, we have this innate leadership ability within us that comes to the fore once our hormones start, the, those lovely nurturing hormones start to decline. And uh, mm. it's like a recalibration, a refocus. Like we're looking after everybody else as, as women or as mothers, whether we, we have children or not, we're looking after maybe uh, parents. But when we come to menopause and our fertile reproductive years end, we our our focus then changes as women and this is only this is a new story because we're living longer and this is a story that needs to come into the world because we're we're living longer as women so it's the value we we bring this access to a creative power which i am meeting women every week who are telling me now that they are tapping into this ability <laughs> i love it we need we need more of those stories more of that narrative and I mean, Emma, 10 years ago, I could, I would not be doing what I'm doing today. I'm quite introverted, but it was an injustice around the research and also, um, I suppose, anger that drove me to start doing what I'm doing in talking about menopause. When I was talking to my friends back in 2019, one of them, it was so funny, she said to me, Rita, could you not have chosen another subject? Nobody's going to talk to you about menopause. And I, I, I <laughs> well, I'm glad she was wrong. <laughs> yeah. 
Exactly, exactly. Wrote the book from a sense of, as I said, from the injustice that was there, that I myself had no information. So the book was written for everyday women. We are a new generation of women. And I specifically use positive language because I had discovered that, you know, um, most of what is written about menopause is negative. So it's around the, I think, power is another huge um, narrative that's coming out and the lack of power, the lack of agency that we have had as women coming into this phase of our lives that uh, thankfully is changing dramatically. But the story is bigger. As I said, the story is bigger than, than HRT. It's certainly, it's about this societal and cultural change that is happening and the value that society is now starting. We're only starting, I think, to to engage with around uh, midlife women. Well, we're definitely an ageing workforce, aren't we? So, um, yeah, woe betide, I guess, any any employer that, that undervalues. Women age 50 and over are the fastest growing cohort within the workplace. You see, even though, you know, we can say ageing and we, we have all these kind of negative connotations with ageing, but women age 50 and over are the fastest there are more and more returners to the workplace now because of the fact that we we're, we're living longer and governments and societies need us. We, we the, you know, the economic from an economic perspective, mm. we, we are needed. And this is why it's so important to provide supports within workplaces in order to retain and, you know, um, support women. And another big issue is around promotion. I was doing a talk here in Ireland recently for um, school principals and vice principals and they were just saying you know that it's encouraging women to step up and what, what has gone on that, that, that women are not stepping up in their 40s and 50s and mm. I think that's correlated to that that confidence dip that we all uh, you know I would say we all or a huge majority of women experience coming into perimenopause when you know if we have a lot of symptoms or we're unsure of what's happening courage and confidence can dip but it's only temporary uh, I always explain to women it's about maybe taking a little bit of time out you know getting getting um, your symptoms under control and realizing that you you know you're still the strong woman you always mm. were and that um, it's perfectly normal and, and many of us are going through the same thing it's again yes. you're not alone it's not just you it's gonna yes. be okay <laughs> yeah yeah but it's that shame I that word that shame and and Brené Brené Brown's Brown's book or work really resonated with me because I feel, you know, having worked in the space and that over the last four years, yeah, the, the shaming of the menopausal woman in, in society is something that we really have to tackle, and that's where I love where the brands now are all coming on board. So, I mean, for such a long time we were ignored. Once you got to fifty, you were kind of ignored when it came to brands mm. actually looking at you know your hair makeup clothes so and i mean we're huge you know we're, we're we're earners we're big earners in society so i'm i'm amazed it's taken the brand so long to actually come on board yeah and, me too yeah, yeah. <laughs> better late than never <laughs> yes yes so that's another arm of it you know the branding so that and it's wonderful to see big companies boots number seven all coming in Pantene, l'oreal we need that again because the story is bigger than just HRT. It's about this cultural, cultural change that we're living through at the minute, and it's very, very exciting to be working in the space. I'm sure 
you found that from interviewing lots of different women. And there will be turbulence in it. You know, societal and cultural change is not easy and it's also very slow, but uh, it is happening. Yeah, I'd love to uh, to just look 20 years into the future and, and sort of have a sneak peek at, at how the, you know, what the narrative looks like down the road. Well, hopefully I'll still be around. Um, but yeah, I'm turning 50 next month and I definitely don't feel old and, and oh, past well, it. So. Absolutely. <laughs> and I, think, I mean, embrace your 50s and in particular your 50s year. I celebrated throughout the whole year when I turned 50. <laughs> I'm 56 now, so I'm I'm post-menopause, um, you know, by clinical definition once you're... But I, again, you know, this again is all arbitrary really you know once your your menstrual cycle stops and then you have a year this is the clinical the medical definition of it but i would say um you know for a year after that i still would have had symptoms and i had a lot of anger irritability and i again because i had access to going into the the research i was really interested in in finding out what's this about what's this anger about now there's a chapter of it in my book and it's really important, I think, for women to understand uh, about anger. And, you know, there's actually a positive reason. Mm, it can drive us forward. <laughs> yeah. And as well as the oxytocin, as well as the, the estrogen, those nurturing, lovely nurturing hormones that are starting to drop in our bodies. And we're, we, we suddenly are kind of feeling a lot more anger. Again, it's temporary. It doesn't, it doesn't last. But just to be aware of it, because it's very frightening for a lot of women. My husband will be very glad to hear that. Yeah, yeah, just to have the conversation. <laughs> like, yes. Hang in there, dude. It's going to yeah, be all right. It's your newest and dearest, unfortunately, that <laughs> that, um, that experience, um, that the result of, of that anger. But it's that education deficit, I, I think, at the end of the mm. day, that has caused a lot of the, the issues for women and a lot of the crisis that we've landed in no I, I often say the same to people it's like having having that understanding and being empowered with with the, the tools to to help as you're kind of half the way there and I, I heard I saw um I'm a celebrity get me out of here there was it last week Sue one of the women she was talking about being menopausal just you know as a, kind of a throwaway comment and nobody said you know it was just so natural for it to come out and mm. say Oh, I'm menopausal. Or there was a newsreader in the, in America, and she was mentioning to her colleague, who was a male colleague, that she uses magnesium um, as a great way for managing her menopausal symptoms. And this is where we, we need to go. This is where we it's the normalizing of menopause, which has been, you know, so um, filled with taboo, shame, and and stigma for so long. That's where we definitely. Need. Well, that's that. That's uh, thank you for your for your book and the great work that you're doing. That is, it's all helping us move in in the right direction. Thank you so much for coming to talk to us today. And um, yeah, I'll pop a link to to your website and to find out more about the book into yeah. the show notes for this episode. Lovely, Emma. Thank you. Thank you so much again. And let's keep talking. You've been listening to the Middling Along podcast. Do remember to subscribe to be notified when our next episode is live. And why not visit the blog at www.middlingalong.com to sign up to my newsletter as well. I do hope you enjoyed listening today. If you did, I'd be really grateful if you would consider leaving a short review as that helps people find the podcast and helps get it noticed. Hope you can join us next time. Goodbye for now.